Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. From the Badgers to Whitewater, from Concordia to Carroll, some of the best college football is played right here in the state of Wisconsin. Alongside the professor, Dan Underberg, and our producer, the Polish pipe bomb, Jeff Orlowski. I'm Don Wachillis. This is the college football show and it starts right now. Yelling, bring them out, bring them out. I'm a hot girl yelling, bring them out, bring them out. All the dope boys yelling, bring them out, bring them out. Put the back day yelling, bring them out, bring them out. Mike check, one, two, one, two. You want to beat this thing? Yeah, welcome back in to the college football show right here on 1057 FM, The Fan. Thank you for joining us on this Thursday evening as we get ready for a huge matchup this Saturday between the Badgers and the Michigan Wolverines in the big house. Don Wachillis alongside the professor, Dan Underberg, our producer, Jeff Orlowski, and special guest in studio, Dakota Dumbridge. Dakota, how you doing tonight? Do good. How are you? It's great to have you alongside. Uh, Dan, take a second and... Uh, and introduce our guest to those listening in this evening. <laughs> well, Dakota is one of our top students at uh, Concordia University of Wisconsin in the Sport and Entertainment Business Program. Interested in this career field. I have no idea why, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but uh, we were just giving him a chance to kind of see the inside of things and, and, and how it works within the studio, and we're we're really glad to have him here. And it's Delbridge. Delbridge. Delbridge, Delbridge yep. yeah. I'll get it. I'm sorry. <laughs> Jeez. You know what? Dan, read a text message and then talk yeah. to me. Okay. All right. Let's start there. Anyhow. I we, read it. I just screwed it up. We just didn't understand it. All right. Inside joke. Nobody's getting before people start turning their channels uh, on their radios. Coming up a little bit later, we're going to talk to Orion Sang from the Detroit Free Press. Orion is one of the beat writers that covers the University of Michigan covering Wolverine football, so he'll be kind enough to join us later in this hour to break down that upcoming matchup. Also, at the top of the next hour, around 9 o'clock, we'll talk to Coach Greg Etter, the head coach at Concordia University of Wisconsin, off to a fantastic start, 4-1, and one, right at the top of the NACC. And we'll talk to him and break down Concordia University's football program and how the season has gone and what the projection will be for the rest of the 2018 season. But before we get to all of that, let's take a peek at last week's game, Dan, between the Badgers and Nebraska. It, it turned out to be an impressive 41-24 win. It was all Jonathan Taylor, and that's mm -hmm. exactly what we thought much of this season would be offensively. So from the offensive side of the football, I thought Wisconsin looked okay. Again, a very slow start, a kind of a shaky first half. Yep. Got life together in the second half. I think the biggest concern, and we'll probably be talking about this at length, especially when Orion joins us later in the hour, is the fact that Nebraska struggling this year, but 533 yards of total offense against a very young Badger defense. 
the defense did enough, the old bend don't break, to keep them out of the end mm-hmm. zone and find a way, obviously, to come away with a 41-24 win. But against Michigan, that's going to be tough. But let's backtrack. Let's talk about your takeaways from that Wisconsin-Nebraska matchup. Yeah, if you want to talk about defense, I'm not all that – number one, I'm not shocked about the defensive performance. They they got gashed for deep plays. We knew that would happen. Um, they're a young defense. That There wasn't a whole lot of shock there. The other part of it is – for all the struggles that the Huskers ha- are having this year, um, we can't dismiss the fact that they are a really powerful offense. Uh, they've had success against other programs. Uh, it, they are a very, very fast team. They've got an up-and-coming quarterback. that, it, and, and, again, we, we've hit the Badgers pretty hard this season, their inability to get to the quarterback. In this case, when you're going up against a guy like Martinez, uh, he's really grown from his freshman year to now his sophomore year where he, he'll hold on to the ball and he will maneuver around the pocket without panicking. Uh, the Huskers can come back. They can be relevant again. And it's probably going to be around this quarterback. The, the Huskers' problems are the same problems that they've had every year. It's been defense. Yeah. And it's been the inability to just not get out of their own way. Man, the penalties that they had were just – I understand why Scott Frost is going bald. Yeah, because it's it, they did enough to damage themselves as the, as the Badgers did. You know, when we broke down uh, the up the matchup going into last week, and we were talking to some people out in the Nebraska area, the two things that you just alluded to are the exact two things that they brought uh, to the forefront in that conversation, which was Adrian Martinez is on the rise, mm-hmm. and he will be their quarterback come their junior and senior yep. year. Kind of like what we looked at Alex Hornibrook now in in his maturation process, but Adrian Martinez a little bit more athleticism. So I think there's something different going to be brought to the table offensively for Nebraska. And the other thing is that you touched upon is you say they couldn't get out of their way. It, it's the penalties. Yeah, they remind you of uh, the green and gold last Sunday. You know what was it? 112 yard. 112 oh. yards worth I, of penalties for the green and gold. We'll talk about the Brewers. <laughs> we'll move on from there. But that was Nebraska. Yeah. Every time Nebraska seemed to take that first step forward, they ended up taking three steps back and shooting themselves in the foot. But let's talk for a moment about Alex Hornibrook, who had a solid performance last week. He He performed on Saturday to me, Dan, what we had hoped to see more consistently – like in the BYU game and mm-hmm. some of the other non-conference games where he did enough to keep the offense moving. The running game obviously is going to be what's at the forefront and predominant with how the scheme is developed, but he didn't make those mistakes like we saw against BYU and some of the other games where you just get exasperated in watching him. He just kept the team moving forward. Yeah, you see this a lot in, in college football and pro football where you just ask your quarterback not to lose the game sometimes and the rest will take care of itself. Hornibrook played under control, and to be fair, and, and, and God knows that I've you know I've had my, my task with him a couple times on this air, <laughs> um, he, his receivers sometimes didn't do him any favors. Right. Uh, A.J. Taylor dropped a ball right in his hands. Danny Davis dropped a couple. Um, and, and again, that's, that's the nature of the game. You're not always going to get him, but uh, he was probably two or three passes from us having a conversation about how great he was about instead of not losing the game, talking about how we kind of own the game. Thankfully we didn't have to, we had Jonathan Taylor and and Taiwan deal, uh, running any way they wanted to. It was a little weird. Like you said, that first half, 
it took him a while to get going, and then all of a sudden we got past jump around in the fourth quarter, and and Taylor breaks one for 88 yards. Yeah. Um, and that was just basically the ball game from there. We couldn't quite get rid of the Huskers. They kept on coming back. Getting it sounds crazy. They were 17 points down for a lot of it. But at the same time, it just felt like, man, one pass, I could be down by 10. But that's the thing also, and I guess I had to step back and kind of look at it through a different lens, so to speak, because of the fact that, you're right, Dan, Nebraska was there. And when you look at other games this year, Nebraska technically, with the exception of maybe one maybe a one full game and a half of another, they've been relevant. They mm-hmm. just don't have enough right now. To get over the hump. Dakota, I'm going to ask you, um, from your perspective, if you just gave an overall kind of judgment as far as the Badgers go, what's your perspective on what you've seen so far this season? I mean, they've looked good so far. I mean, 4-1 and one, uh, record right now and 2-0 and oh in conference. I'm looking at Alex Hornibrook, Hornibrook's stats right now. I mean, he was 13th uh, for 24 through the air for 163 yards and one touchdown. I mean, not a whole lot of offensive production right there. But I mean, like he's like uh, the professor said, Jonathan Taylor, 24 carries, 221 yards, three touchdowns, and he broke a long one out for 88 yards rushing. I mean, it was a fairly easy game, I would say. Uh, Cornhuskers are 0-5 and on the season, so I mean, not a whole lot of struggles. I can see they dominated the first half, uh, and then the rest of the way, the, Horn- the Cornhuskers just didn't go away. Dan, here's here's the part, and I know we're gonna we're gonna talk more later on about this matchup with Michigan, but it was defensively what we saw from the Badgers. The pass rush against Martinez was essentially not there. It was not existent. It yeah. just there was no push, whether it was up the middle or on the corners, to force him to feel uncomfortable at any point. And I reading some of the the paper of of what took place on Saturday, kind of the recap, you know, people's analysis. And the secondary was just brutalized. But I also think the secondary was doing as much as it could, considering there was nothing up front. Right. You You can have some of the greatest corners and safeties in the world, and if a quarterback has got six, seven seconds back there to pick you apart and look for that open receiver – that's a lot to ask for, especially with a young group. So if this defense for me is going to get better, it's going to have to start up front with that pass rush and applying some pressure to make whoever the quarterback is on the opposing team feel a little bit uncomfortable. Ironically, in a lot of cases, the pass rushes were there. They just couldn't seal the deal. They couldn't get Martinez down. In a lot of cases, they were they were right around his feet. In some cases, he had some great escapes to get to kind of get out of a sure sack. Um, and that's that's just part of the challenge and of of trying to go up against a quarterback with his skills. But I'm with you. Yeah, the the defensive pressure has been a prop. We talked about it week one, Western Kentucky. You know, You're where, absolutely where's right. the push? And that's part of the challenge. And the thing that kind of concerns me more, and and what kind of allows me to tell Huskers fans to, to to have hope and to hang in there, is there wasn't a time in that game where Nebraska didn't feel faster to me. They felt like. We, it always felt like we were catching up, trying to catch where and they were, what they field, were doing. So yeah, to speak, from it, a speed perspective. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, they're getting in their own way. They're making penalties. They're they're making dumb plays. There were fumbles, stuff like that. But man, it just felt like the Huskers were faster than the Badgers in all facets of the game. I guess 
the the bright spot right now is, is we're kind of hammering the defense was Ryan Colley and TJ Edwards. I think great game. the two had yeah. seven tackles each. So 14 of the tackles defensively came from those two players. And as much as there I was kind of hammering the defensive line for not much of a pass rush, I got to give the defensive line a little bit of credit there because defensively you've got to tie some guys up so that the offensive line or the backs can't get to the second level and begin chipping at your linebackers. They were doing something right in order to let at least those two guys be free and make the tackles that they did. So somehow you keep doing that and then add a more consistent pass rush. And I guess I hear what you're saying, Dan. They got there against Martinez at some points. I just didn't think they got there fast enough. I I just – not not – to make it sound like it would be that easy. But again, mm-hmm. if you've got time back there, like I, I thought he had in certain situations, you you can fall at his feet, but five, six seconds later, it, it's too late. Getting there has to be quicker in conjunction with tying up the offensive line and the backs the way they did to allow your linebackers to be free and do the kind of things that these two guys did this past Saturday. I think – I think T.J. Edwards had had a had a stretch in the third quarter where you didn't have a defensive set without hearing the name T.J. Edwards. There was about three sets where they where they were just on the field, and it almost seemed like T.J. Edwards Edwards was everywhere. Was everywhere, excuse me. And that's kind of what you would expect from him at this point. He's he's recognized as probably a top ten linebacker in college football right now. Um, definitely has the opportunity to play in the NFL, and and he he put that out there and had a great game. And yeah, you're right. The, the defensive line did some of that stuff I, that, that they need to do to get him free. I look at kind of where we are again in terms of the secondary. And it's still to me is, is just, it's just a young man's game. They're not sure where they're supposed to be. They still look confused. Um, and in fairness to the secondary, we got to turn around and then there was a lot of time he's sitting back there six, seven seconds. Like you're talking about, he couldn't find someone open. So he had to turn around, he had to run it, and he had to do those things, being Martinez. But, you know, again, we found our M.O. for this Badger team right now. The defense is going to be rough. Yeah, We know they're going to be rough for the rest of the season. You know, we're, we're going to have to buckle up for the rest of the game, starting with Michigan. And with with offense, yeah, it's, it's going to be a running game. The nice thing, though, about the running attack this past Saturday, again, was the balance of, of not only having Jonathan Taylor, but the other guys who come in when he's ready to take a break and what they're able to do. But Jeffrey, I thought one of the most impressive things was not only the fact that Taylor got that 88 yard run, but we've seen him be able to power run like we did against Iowa three, four, five yards, kind of grind it out is what I'm getting at. But then when that hole opened against Nebraska, the breakaway speed and his ability to separate from those defenders on the Nebraska side I just I found that as impressive as anything I've seen so far in this young season. Yeah, you got everything you want out of a back. You've got the breakaway can score in in ten seconds on on a simple handoff, and you've got the the guy who could pound the rock and and pick up a important third and three, third and two goal line. You know he's the total package. That eighty eight yard run. You know, if you sat there and turned away for just five seconds, you're you're turning back at the TV like, oh my god, what I missed? Yeah. Right. <laughs> you know, the score has changed. How'd that happen? Exactly. It's just you know a home run hitter, but like you said, can also just 
you know, take it straight up the middle, pick up a tough three, four, keep the chains moving, keep the offense on the field. That's part of what concerns me. About, and I'm, I'm, I've got rose-colored glasses on right now and thinking about potential Jonathan Taylor for a Heisman Trophy, which is the last two or three games he's run really well, really productively, but he hasn't had that breakout. All you see are those those tough yards, those tough three to five yards that you need. You need a back that can do that. Problem is, is that nobody looks at those at highlight reels. You don't consider that. And I think Jonathan Taylor is having as strong a game or strong a season this year as he did the last year. People knew that he was coming. But you still you still don't hear chatter about him in kind of that Heisman area the way maybe you'd hope to. And I think part of that is what took place against BYU. I think the loss to BYU kind of sank Wisconsin, kind of took a lot of air out of the proverbial balloon. And I don't think the national media now has paid as much attention to the Badgers as they would have had they beaten BYU, excuse me, and found ourselves going into the big house this week undefeated. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know it's still an important game on both sides, the fact that game day is going to be there on Saturday, spending the morning there, not only previewing all of the other things taking place on Saturday, but that game specifically. So that game has tremendous meaning for both teams going into it. Mm -hmm. But I just think if BYU, Daniel, had not come in to Camp Randall and upset the Badgers, the national media would have been much more uh, focused in on this particular team and that recognition that you were just talking about I think would have been there. Yeah, I, we're going to be talking about BYU for the rest of the season. There's, oh, yeah. It will that be. Is, that yes. is going to be the stain that is just going to be on that season. It's not going to go away. No amount of bleach is going to make it go away. It's just going to be there. So. And, and the rough part was, you know, Ryan and I talked about a little bit last week when we were on Wednesday night because of the wonderfulness that is our Milwaukee Brewers. Uh, BYU taking it on the chin against Washington. Yeah, that hurt. If they would have had a better showing, not even if they would have won, just a better showing mm-hmm. against the Huskies – then this this stain that that you just described, Dan, I don't think would have been as as prevalent as as what we're seeing. We got to take a break. When we come back, we'll start looking at the game in the big house this Saturday. It'll be the Badgers and the Wolverines national TV Saturday night. It's gonna be fun, and we'll start breaking it down next. This is the College Football Show right here, one hundred five seven FM, The Fan. Welcome back into the college football show right here on 1057 FM, the fan, 1250 AM or on the radio.com app as we start to take a peek forward as to what will be the big game this Saturday in the big house as Wisconsin will travel to Michigan in Ann Arbor to take on the Wolverines. So I guess, where do we start with? I mean, we need a running game, obviously, that's going to be effective. We need Jonathan Taylor. We need deal. We need all of the things that we saw against Nebraska. My fear is, though, that defensively, Michigan's a little bit stronger than what Nebraska is. And like we saw against Iowa, we're going to see a stack box. Sure. They're going to challenge Hornerbrook. Now, do we get the Alex Hornerbrook of the last two weeks? who played within himself, played controlled, kept the ball moving down the field, did everything I think they would like to see him do with his capabilities, or do we get what we saw against BYU again or even further back in those non-conference games where we have a quarterback who's overthrowing his receivers, 
throwing interceptions, putting the ball on the ground. So for me, offensively at least, it, it's all going to start at the QB position. Yeah, I but I, I'm going to go a little bit further back, and I'm going to say it's actually going to start with the running game on this one. I think that this is a measurement game for the Michigan Wolverines to see where they stack up against a pretty a pretty tough order for uh, an offensive lineman that can push the ball, shove the ball down somebody's throat. And I think Wisconsin's going to still try to do that. Um, I look at this game and I think to myself, there, there's enough opportunity for Wisconsin to walk out of the big house with a win. I think that they can do it. Again, it, it comes back down to making sure that, that Hornibook does not lose the game per se, but I think he's going to be looking for Ferguson a lot. And that's the, I think Ferguson is going to be that, that, that point that Michigan is going to have to decide what they're going to do with him. They know they're going to go after Jonathan Taylor. We get that. But if, the, if Ferguson can open some stuff up underneath, that's going to open up the, the, the deep game a little bit for Hornibrook. I think it'll open things up. So for me, the trick is starting with the run, getting Ferguson involved in the pass, and hopefully Wisconsin can get through it. You know, I look back at Hornibrook, and his completion right now is at about 64%. He has a passer efficiency of 151.7, and those numbers sound good. Now, where's Radio Joe? The problem, <laughs> the problem for me, though, is that the average – yards per attempt sits at 8.4 and Jeff Mm -hmm. I just don't think 8.4 though I hear what Dan is saying by kind of creating some space that to me has to be a little bit deeper I'm not saying you've got to throw the big the big money play you know every time you're in possession of the ball but I would love to see 8.4 be more like 15.3 17.2 which then to me tells me the linebackers have to respect it a little bit more and then fade back, which then in turn opens up the running game that Dan is looking for this Saturday against Michigan. Yeah, and it doesn't even take going deep to increase the numbers. It hitting your your checkdowns mm-hmm. in stride, you know, in an open position where they can pick up yards after the catch, that does the trick too. It's not like he has to stand back there and chuck it forty yards every single play. You know, I'm kind of with Don here. I don't think that uh Hornybrook's going to be much of a factor. I think that, uh, you know, it's going to be three yards in a cloud of dust, and it's going to be, you know, Taylor up the middle, Taylor to the right, Taylor up the middle, Taylor to the right, and they're just going to try to ball control the heck out of this game. And I think on the flip side, Michigan's going to do the same. And it'll be good if the Badgers are able to control the ball because it'll keep that young defense off the field for – longer periods of time and hopefully getting coached up on the sidelines as to what to expect. And maybe that duration will give them an opportunity to play a little bit better. Dakota, I'm going to come to you on this one. When you look at the running game of the Badgers and you look at the quarterback play, you can be the tiebreaker here. Is it the running game that you're watching on Saturday? Are you looking at what Hornerbrook does? That will be the key as to how this offense flows. Regardless of what Hornerbrook, Hornerbrook does uh, this Saturday, I think it's going to come down to the run game, especially on the de- defensive line for Michigan. That line has been tremendous as of late, and if they can get break that with a running game, then the quarterback for Wisconsin is going to just have a field day with that. And the other the other thing, Dan, and did you guys know that Barry Alvarez's grandson 
plays on the Badger team. <laughs> no, anybody no, heard no, no, never that. heard that. Has that been highlighted by any of these guys when they come in to put a national you know, Wisconsin is famous for things? cheese. Have you heard that? I, one? I have not. No. I have not. Um, jump around. Anybody <laughs> figured that no, one out yet? No. Next um, question, please. <laughs> yeah. But Jake Ferguson at the tight end position, along with some of those other guys, I, that has to be critical. Because I think the secondary for Michigan is going to play havoc on our receiving core. So then it's going to be tight end against linebacker. And that, to me, even though Michigan's defense is as stout as it comes, seeing those linebackers fall into pass coverage, I, I think could be the Achilles heel and could be the difference come Saturday, Daniel. I, I For me, what I want to see is, is how good is Miss, Michigan's front seven against a legitimate offensive line like Wisconsin when it comes to running. We've we've taken Wisconsin to task for their pass rushing or I'm sorry, for their pass um you know their their pass blocking skills. And that's still I think they're getting better, but I still think it's a challenge for them. But I want to see can Michigan withstand punishment for four quarters from this offensive yeah. line. And and the key to that is going to be not going for Wisconsin, not going three and out, three and out, three and out. If as long as Michigan is getting off the field defensively, they're going to get more energy. They're going to get, they're going to be more refreshed, and they'll they'll do okay. But if if they can substantiate some drives, and they don't always have to score, but if they they can take four or five minutes off the clock, maybe getting a field goal, maybe maybe doing those things. Eventually, I think Wisconsin's offensive line is going to show the nation, show everybody, is Michigan's front seven for real or not. I say that because I'm not totally convinced that who Michigan has played yet is is worthy of giving Michigan all that praise. And yeah, I hate Michigan, but um, it's it's one of those <laughs> things. And I, you know, and, and let's see, let's see what and I've been waiting to say this. Let's see what uh, Captain Khaki Pants comes up with too, in terms of will he screw up the game or not? Because he has lost games and he has won them. Well, Jeff, then that goes to what you were just speaking to earlier: the three yards in a cloud of dust with the fact that if we can control the offense and wear the defensive unit for the Wolverines down, much like, in my opinion, we did against Iowa. Iowa pretty much in control of that game, but as the game wore on, you could tell defensively they were starting to break down, wear down, and that's when Wisconsin was able to capitalize down the stretch. I don't know if we can play that type of of weight game against Michigan. I don't think we can be behind by seven, 10, even three points for that matter against the Wolverines on the road in the big house. But if we can maintain possession, as you so eloquently put (laughs) three yards, three yards in a cloud of dust, and we keep that defensive line on the field and we can keep pounding them. Then I think we set ourselves up for what could be a, a really big upset in a lot of people's minds this Saturday night. Yeah. I don't even consider you know, once Wisconsin wins on Saturday, I don't think it's going to be that big of an upset. You know, I think the the teams are very comparable. The only advantage that they have is is the hostile crowd. But, you know, this is one of those games where with the ball control, Wisconsin can't make mistakes. They can't get all the dumb penalties. They can't, mm-hmm. you know, which is why you have to take the ball out of Hornybrook's hands because he can look fantastic in one drive and just have a complete oops, and all of a sudden it's going back for six the other way, and now you're in that deficit you were talking about, Don, where it's going to be harder and harder to stick with the run and be patient enough to try to wear down their defensive front. And, you know, 
Dan, you said before we went on break in the first segment, you know, BYU, that stain is going to to stay with us through, throughout this 2018 season. And when I think about special teams and Gaglione and his ability to kick from distance mm-hmm. could be the factor of whether or not you win or lose this game. And I guess for all he'll do this season, I can't get the shank out of my mind at the end of the BYU game that could have put it into overtime, and then who knows what happened. They could have still lost, Mm -hmm. but the fact that the opportunity was there to put it into overtime and get you a potential victory to keep you undefeated didn't happen. Is the confidence level in in Rafael there anymore? Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. It's there, and I think he's – He's salivating for the chance to have a kick like that again and do that again and do it in the big house. Remember, he's a senior. He he would love to have that moment at an away game at Michigan to kind of to, to be the guy that wins that game. I, I don't question his confidence at all. I mean, anybody that's willing to go out there and do a samba, you know, and, and with every with every kick that he makes, I mean, that's fine. So I think he can do it. I think for me, I, I look at this game again and we know Michigan's going to attack the secondary. Everybody else is attacking the secondary. Keeping ball control, Wisconsin-style offense to keep the Michigan offense off the field is just going to be it. That's the game for me. That's that's going to be crucial. So, Dakota, I'm going to ask you this. With what the professor just said as far as controlling the ball, getting out in front, and hopefully staying in front, one of the trends, it, whether it's high school, college, pro football now, is if you win the coin toss, deferring. Mm-hmm. trying to get that last possession before the half and then getting the ball first thing in the third quarter and, if if possible, really taking a lead and extending it. But with what we've seen from the Badgers defensively and from what we've been talking about not playing from behind, do you buck that trend? If you win, it's a big if there. Now, right, if yeah. you win the coin toss, do you then just take the ball immediately and see if you can't jump out in front? I mean, going into the big house, do you want to make a statement immediately or do you want to play the long game like Belichick? Belichick's strategy is always defer, get the ball in the second half, let Brady do his thing, see what the score is. Usually they're up because they're the Patriots for crying out loud. I mean, it comes down to what he wants to start out with. Do you want to play the long game, play it safe? Do you want to go right at him and try to score on the first drive or what? That's going to have uh, be a huge decision uh, come game time. Jeff, you're standing in the middle of the field and – and the coach has talked to you, and, and you have the option now. Do you take the ball or do you defer? What are you going to do? I defer all day, every day. Uh, we just talked about how Wisconsin needs to get jump out to an early lead and stay there. Um, I defer because what if Hornybrook has an oops on the first possession and now all of a sudden say it was a pick six or even just a pick deep in your own territory and Michigan punches it in. You know, now you've got 110,000 all, you know, juiced up and your backs are behind the walls. You got to be feeling it. And, you you know, places are getting tight that uh, should be loose. (laughs) And so, you know, that's why I I would just defer and keep your fingers crossed that you play play good D and uh, and hope for the best. He could put things so eloquently. (laughs) Just to add on that point, you want to ease into the game, especially this big moment on national television. Um if he does make a mistake, like he said, the worst case scenario is Michigan goes up seven nothing, and then the crowd's ignited right there. And see, for me, Dan, I guess it's how you view it, and I understand where these guys are coming from. Sure, but for me, 
if we want to get out in front, and I understand the risk of a Hornerbrook pick or a, or a, a Taylor fumble, whatever the case oh, yeah, may be. Yeah, he's never that, done that before. Yeah. But <laughs> I, would, I also understand looking at this young defense, and even if Gaglioni kicks it out of the end zone and the ball comes out to the 20 or the 25, and Michigan just 10 yards, 13 yards, 15 yeah. yards, 10 yards, and Gonna goes happen. right down the field and mm-hmm. scores, and suddenly you're down 7 nothing. I just don't like our team at this point so far in what we've seen in this season trying to come back. I don't think we have the quarterback at this point who can maneuver the team offensively to make that quick comeback. Okay, so watch this. I'm going to support Alex Hornerbrook on this one. Uh-oh. Oh, how, how soon we forget about Iowa? Jeff, check the beverage, please. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> how soon we forget Iowa? We were talking about Iowa two weeks ago, three weeks ago. And the job that he did marching down in that last that last job or that last drive to get to get the Wisconsin into the end zone for the win, right? Very so good. So I, I I do I do think he can do it, right? I I also think he can he can throw a pick six just as easily. Um, I just think if Wisconsin's deal is going to be running, they attack, they attack, they attack, and and I hope over time they win. They they. They wore him down. Well, we're going to continue this discussion after the break. We're going to start efforting Orion Sang. He is the beat writer for the Detroit Free Press who covers the Michigan Wolverines. So hopefully we'll get what the Michigan perspective is as we get ready for Saturday's big matchup. Once again, you're listening to the College Football Show right here on 105.7 FM, The Fan. Welcome to Atlanta where the players play and we ride on them things like every day. Big beats, hit streets, see gangsters roaming uh-huh. and parties don't stop yeah. till 8 uh, in the morning. Once again, welcome stop. back in to the College Football Show right here on 105.7 FM, The Fan. We're going to jump right to the Great Midwest Bank hotline now. Pleased to be joined from the Detroit Free Press someone who covers the Michigan Wolverines, Orion Sang. Orion, how are you? Good, how are you? We're doing great. Thank you for taking a few minutes uh, tonight to take a, a look at this upcoming game. Hey, first question I got to ask you is Harbaugh. Is is Harbaugh is beloved still in the state of Michigan as we're led to believe by some of the things we see from the national media? Yeah, I think so. I mean – He's really resurrected the program since he got here. Um, I mean, everyone talks about how he hasn't been able to win the big games, but this is a, a much healthier program than it was uh, when he first got here. So, yeah, I would, I, I'd say that he's still beloved. Okay. I just, you know, I'm looking at uh, the article from the other day out of the USA Today and kind of comparing what, what Harbaugh has done in relation to his salary. And there's some out there who, who think, you know, he could be on a short leash, but – when you listen to those in and around the program, it just sounds like everybody is fairly content with, with what he's doing. How has this team evolved since week one against Notre Dame? Uh, I've been reading some things about how this team is much looser than what they, what they played and showed against the fighting Irish. What has evolved with Michigan as we get ready for this game this upcoming Saturday? Yeah, I think it all starts um, on offense. Uh, when they lost to Notre Dame, the offensive line couldn't really protect Shea Patterson. He gave up three sacks, and he was just under pressure all game long. Um, they, they've given up five sacks in the five games since, which is a much more sustainable rate. Um, you know, they've only given up eight sacks in the year, which is a much better pace than they were at last year. 
and, and that's really allowed Patterson to do what he does best, which is, you know, be cool under pressure, make good throws, um, and that's opened up the offense. With Patterson being cool under pressure, I mean, one of the things that we're, we're extremely fearful of in watching our beloved Badgers has been the secondary and really the lack of an effective pass rush. With Shea Patterson standing back there in what I will perceive to be a great deal of time unless Jim Leonard can dial something up, who are the receivers that we're going to see a lot of, I have a feeling, in the big house? Yes, so Donovan Peoples-Jones and uh, Nico Collins are his two favorite receivers. Um, Donovan Peoples-Jones was a former five-star recruit. Uh, he's, he's really put it all together this year. Um, he's been pretty dangerous when a play breaks down. When, when Patterson escapes the pocket and he's rolling around, um, Peoples-Jones is usually who he's looking for, and, and he also has the most touchdown catches on the team. Uh, Nico Collins is 6'4", I think like 213 pounds or something. He's really big. And, and when Patterson takes shots downfield, like the deep balls, Collins is usually who he's looking for. Um, and then he has other targets too, like Zach Gentry, the tight end, is six foot eight, two hundred sixty pounds. That's actually Michigan's leading receiver in the year oh when it gosh. comes to receptions and receiving yards. Orion, w- with Shea Patterson, would you describe him more as a pocket passer, or has he evolved into what we see a lot now in college and even at the pro level? with somebody who gets out, rolls out of the pocket, and creates on the fly as opposed to just sitting in the pocket and letting whatever is going to happen, happen? So, so he's a little bit of both, actually. Um, he, he's really good in the pocket, and that's that's actually been a surprise because, I mean, at Ole Miss, he didn't really do a lot of what they're doing now in Michigan, but he's really adjusted well to, to the scheme. Um, but when the play breaks down, when he needs to escape the pocket, he has the mobility to do so. He can readjust. He can hit receivers on the fly. So I'd say it's a bit of both. With the other side of the ball defensively, I mean, for us, one of the things that we're thinking of is that the Badgers are going to need some ball control, that they're going to need to just pound and grind things out and try to keep, excuse me, at least our defense off the field. Defensively, how do you feel that the Wolverines will match up against the Badger offensive line and the running backs led by Jonathan Taylor? So, so Michigan's defense has been pretty stout this year. Um, they were pretty good last year. Um, I, I put them in that elite category this year when it comes to defenses around the nation. The one area of concern for Michigan, though, is the death at defensive line. Rashawn Gary has an AC joint injury, a shoulder injury. Uh, he actually sat out last week's game, and uh, he left the two games before that early because of the injury. He's expected to play in this one, but we don't know if he's 100% or even close to it. Um, and then Michigan has two interior defensive linemen who are out. Uh, Aubrey Solomon uh, was hurt after the season opener and hasn't played since Notre Dame. Michael Dwumfor was carted off the field last week. So, so they're a little thin at defensive line right now, I'd say. Notre Dame, SMU, Nebraska, Northwestern, Maryland. Um, looking at the schedule that the Wolverines have faced, how's the confidence level? Because I think with the exception of – uh, Notre Dame in game one, the Badgers probably will be the most uh, prominent opponent right now the Wolverines have faced this season. Well, I, I think the players the players and coaches are pretty confident, and I think that's stemming from what they've shown the past five weeks. Um, this is a different team than, than it was against Notre Dame. I guess we'll see how different against Wisconsin and, and Michigan State and Penn State, but the offensive line has improved. The offense is, is more cohesive as a unit. 
Um, they're, they're scoring more points. So I think, I think confidence is high right now, at least inside the program. So let's just look at the Big Tenies for a little bit, and I want to get your impression then looking at how Michigan compares to a Penn State or compares to Ohio State at this point in the season. Uh, I think nationally we're still looking at Ohio State being you know, kind of the bell of the ball for that division. Um, how does how do you think Michigan will stack up against Ohio State at the end of the season? Um, you know, coming up obviously to the, to the, um, the you know the traditional games and, and ultimately into the bowl season. Honestly, I really think Ohio State is the class of the conference. I mean, this this team is elite. Um, it's really talented. It honestly reminds me of Urban Meyer's 2015 team. That the year after he won the title, that team was insanely talented. This team is too as well. Um, I mean, you just look at the offense; like they have a whole new dynamic with Dwayne Haskins at quarterback that they didn't really have with JT Barrett. Uh, Haskins has been really good. Um, honestly, in the Heisman conversation for me, if I had a vote or had a say. But yeah, no, I think Ohio State is is the best team in the conference. Um, when, when you're looking at the Big Ten East, I think the team that has surprised me is Michigan State. I actually thought they'd be a ten-win team. Um, maybe contend for for the regular season title a little bit, but they've really struggled on offense. Um, that offensive line is banked up. They can't really run the ball at all. And then the defense, they can't stop opponents passing games. So Michigan State would be, I guess, my most disappointing team in the Big Ten East. Ryan, I know you're in the midst of traveling, and so we can't thank you enough for taking a few minutes to talk about this upcoming Badger-Wolverine matchup. Best wishes, enjoy the game, and uh, we'll maybe have the opportunity to talk somewhere down the line here. Yeah, for sure. Thanks for having me on. All right, that's Orion Sang from the Detroit Free Press, one of the beat writers that covers the Michigan Wolverines, joining us on the Great Midwest Bank Hotline. Time for us to take a break. When we come back, we'll jump over to Division Three, take a look at the top 25, and then at the top of the hour, we're going to be joined by Greg Etter, the head coach at Concordia University of Wisconsin, and we'll get to it all next. This is the College Football Show right here on 105.7 FM, The Fan. Once again, welcome back in to the College Football Show right here on 105.7 FM, The Fan, as we shift gears a bit and head into the division three side of college football here in the state of Wisconsin. Let's look at the top 25 UW whitewater with a big win this past week over Oshkosh remains undefeated goes from eight to number six in the country, but it also tells you Dan, how much respect there is for whitewater because last week Oshkosh ranked number 10 only falls to number 13. And we've seen instances where teams have lost, like Oshkosh, earlier in the season and fell at a much more dramatic pace than only a couple of spots like we're seeing this week. So there's your entrances from the state of Wisconsin in the top 25. UW Lacrosse, Platteville getting some national recognition in the honorable mention category. So again, the WEAC showing strong numbers here, you know, with regards to the top 25, but the game of the week last week had to be with Whitewater and Oshkosh. Whitewater wins 20 to nothing, 11,600 plus on hand for that division three matchup. And right now, Dan, the way it stands, it will be unfortunate because with two losses, and with the fact that Oshkosh had a travel and all of the yep. things that we've talked about, mm -hmm. 
Oshkosh, really a formidable team, I don't think is going to get that at-large bid because at least at this point, it looks like it's Whitewater's conference and then everybody else is just trying to make a name for themselves. Yeah, I mean, look at these scores for Whitewater over the course of this season. Um, 38-6, 24-6, 30 to 7, 20-0. <laughs> defense has given up 19 points in right. four games. Yeah. 19 points. And we've done a lot of talking about their offense and their, you know how they've ch- kind of changed the game plan. They're a lot more about throwing throwing downfield and doing those things, but my goodness, 19 points over four games, that's incredible. And how many times have we heard it said it's defense that wins championships, and we obviously have seen what Whitewater can do on the offensive side of the ball, but just as you alluded to, the stats defensively are unbelievable as they continue to make their way. Some other scores last weekend from around the WEAC, Platteville over River Falls, 52-27 the University of Wisconsin lacrosse, a 29-23 victory over Stout Point in Eau Claire in what can only be described as a shootout. Point <laughs> wins 9-3. <to> St. <laughs> Norbert over Ripon 30-17. And Concordia of Wisconsin, the Cheese Bowl over Lakeland 17-0. And when we come back after the break, we're going to have an opportunity to talk to the head coach at Concordia University of Wisconsin. That's Greg Etter, and we'll do it next. Once again, you've got the college football show right here on 105.7 FM, The Fan. The college football show right here on 105.7 FM, The Fan. Right now, we jump to the great Midwest Bank hotline. Pleased to be joined by the head coach at Concordia University of Wisconsin. It's head coach Greg Etter. Coach, how are you? I'm doing fine. Thanks for having me on. Well, we appreciate you taking some time on this Thursday night to come on and join us here on the College Football Show. Coach, one of the things that we love to do with this show is celebrate, especially all of the things going on at the Division Three level. So if you could take a moment and – Talk about your team and what you've done so far this year because you're off to a fantastic start sitting at 4-1. and one. Well, I think that's a credit to the young men uh, in our program. You know, we came into the season um, uh, with a lot of unknowns in a lot of different positions, uh, and we've had some young kids uh, step up. They come in and accepted the challenge, and, and have exceeded uh, any expectations, you know, that you'd ever place on uh, freshmen coming in. We've also been fortunate uh, that, you know, we had some medical redshirt uh, key players that were out last year, and and they've come back and, and proven uh, to be big play uh, type of guys. And the group has really come together as, as a family, as a unit. Uh, their work ethic. Uh, their their intensity during practice, their willingness to learn, uh, and, and and desire to master their techniques has just been uh, made them a fun fun group to work with so far. So, coach, with with the fact that this team has has really found themselves, uh, as you noted, almost like a family going through the first half of this season, offensively. Has it been through the air, on the ground? I mean, statistically, it looks balanced, but statistics sometimes can be deceiving as to how games can has 
you know, they play out through the course of the season. So offensively, what's the key? Has it been through the air or on the ground? I think offensively, I think the, the biggest key is our explosive plays, uh, whether it's running the football or throwing the football. Uh, we've spread the ball around and different guys are, are contributing, but um, Aaron Nixon is uh, back. He's a fifth-year senior for us, and he has the ability as a quarterback not only to extend plays, uh, but, but he can make things happen with his feet. Uh, he can make things happen with his arm. Uh, and so, you know, when, when a guy like that touches the ball every snap, you know that you have a chance. Uh, our running back, uh, Josh uh, Turner, he rushed for – had a, a great game. Uh, he's a little nicked up right now, but he's back off of a redshirt year. Uh, senior wide receiver, Josh Sanders. Uh, and again, has been a, a big play guy for us. So we've, we've spread the wealth. We take a lot of pride in uh, trying to find ways to win the football game. You know, we don't go in and say that we're going to be balanced. Uh, we're going to do whatever we have to do in order to win the football game. We're pleased to be joined right now with the head coach at Concordia University of Wisconsin, great editor on the Great Midwest Bank Hotline. Dakota, you got a question for Coach? I do, Coach. How you doing? I'm good. How are you? Good. So I'm a current student at CUW, um, and I one question I have for you is I know you don't want to hear it, and I hate to bring it up, but last year's game versus Lakeland, the loss was 60-14. to Turnaround to this season, 17 nothing win and Cheese Bowl champs. What do you attribute that uh, success to for mostly that game? Well, again, I mean, people that follow – our program, we had we played uh, defensively last year with a heck of a lot of first-year freshmen. That was due to injuries, due to uh, other circumstances. Uh, but defensively, we played with a lot of uh, freshmen in uh, a few sophomores. Offensively, you know, you heard me say that our quarterback Aaron Nixon went down, and um, we had to throw a freshman. Uh, into the mix uh, may or may not have been ready and when you're not moving the ball on offense you're not stopping people on defense it gets to be a long day and so defensively uh, those players now are sophomores which still relatively young football team um, but they're experienced you know they've got game experience under their belt and like I said on offense uh, we got some key uh explosive big-time players uh, back. Aaron Nixon, at quarterback, Josh Turner, at running back, and, and obviously senior uh, Josh Sanders, out of receiver. And so uh, it's not just like uh, replacing a pawn with a pawn. You know, people, uh, players have certain ability levels, and when you take some of those people out of your lineup, uh, it's, your team's going to suffer. And obviously, we did our share of suffering last season. <laughs> well, and and coach, you did do your share of suffering because of the things you've you've alluded to with the injuries that took place. I want to take a moment. Let's jump to the other side of the ball. Defensively, obviously, having a strong year as well. Talk a little bit about some of the defensive stars that that have played exceptionally well so far in the first five games of this 2018 season. Well, I, I think on defense. 
you know, uh, we've had some guys step up, and, and I want to say again that uh, we're still we'd be considered a very very young football team. Uh, but our defense is led by our two inside linebackers. They have both. If you look at the number of tackles uh, that they've been involved with, uh, Dwayne Rackard and Justin Dunlap, they're both sophomores that saw extensive playing time last year. Uh, they're kind of the nucleus of the defense. We have two senior safeties, uh, John Rao, uh, Jacob Mason. Uh, we have uh, a sophomore safety, Brandon Hargis, that stepped up and uh, got a, a bunch of interceptions for us. Uh, at corner, uh, again, a red shirt, uh, a freshman. Josiah McDermott is getting better uh, every game. And our D-line is really starting to come together. We've got uh, two freshmen uh, that have really been a pleasant surprise. Um, and it, our defensive line is anchored by, you know, Isaiah Schultz, who's a junior right now. So, again, it's a good nucleus. We've got a couple of seniors, but for the most part, we're playing their freshmen and sophomores, and they're buying into the system and, and uh, doing a nice job. So, Coach, take us through um, maybe your recruiting uh, spiel a little bit, and here's why I ask. On the show, we talk a lot about the strength of D3 football in Wisconsin with the NACC, with WEAC. Um, and so you're, you're competing against some really well-established, strong programs. Uh, and then you've got your natural rivalry with Lakeland uh, and the other programs that are out there. So when you're trying to bring uh, the right student-athletes to Concordia, how do you go about doing that? Well, again, Concordia is a very uh, special place. And what we talk about with any student-athlete uh, that we're recruiting is uh, we recruit people first. We want to get a good fit. You know, Concordia is a, is a, is a Christian, uh, it's a Lutheran school and we expect people that uh, to come here that that want that type of environment not just in the classroom but in the dorms and their social life uh, and so we recruit quality people first they obviously have to you know be strong academically and and then we take a look at the football piece and we believe that if we can get them on our campus and they see the, the, the new construction that's going on. They see the, the new buildings, uh, you know, whether it's an academic building, whether it's a new dorm uh, from the social piece, a uh, new student union, or all of the upgrades or, or new facilities athletically, there's, everything's moving in an upward trend uh, on the campus. And that's our biggest selling point. We're not for everybody, but there's a – a group of people out there that, that this is their niche and, and they fit in and, and they have a, a wonderful four years. And that goes for anybody who wants to head out there to watch a game as well. I mean, the facilities out there are second to none. It's a great small setting to watch collegiate football. When When you're out there and you're by the lake and you're able to be as close as you are, that you're not necessarily going to get you know, if you went to a Badger game, so to speak, and yet you're still getting good quality collegiate football. I mean, it, mm -hmm. it, there's nothing better than the atmosphere that's provided at a place like Concordia or Wisconsin Lutheran or Carthage, whatever the case may be. Coach, you've got a game upcoming here against Aurora. 
Give us a brief scouting report because Aurora, if you look overall, they're sitting at one and four, but one and one in the conference. And and when it's a conference game and anytime you go on the road, there's no one to be taken lightly. Well, you're exactly right. Um, and, and overall records, is, as you all know, are very deceiving. Aurora is uh, a well-coached uh, football program. They have had a very, very tough uh, start to the season. They've, they've scheduled some, some very tough opponents. They played them well. Um, and all phases uh, since uh, Coach has taken over there, uh, offense, defense, kicking game. They're going to be well coached. Their kids are disciplined. Their their schemes are sound, and it's going to take a, a very very good effort on our part in order to go down there and and compete and expect to win. Coach, we appreciate your time, and hopefully, as this season uh, makes its way towards the latter half, we get an opportunity to speak again. Continued success and best wishes. Well, I appreciate uh, you having us on and. You know, on behalf of Concordia, on behalf of our football program, uh, I do encourage people to come on campus and check out a game or check out campus. But uh, thanks for having us on, and and uh, our program uh, likes the, the, the being in the spotlight. So thank you very much. Coach, much appreciated. Have a good night. You too. Thank you. That's head coach Greg Etter from Concordia University of Wisconsin joining us on the Great Midwest Bank Hotline. It's a road game this week against Aurora, and then they're back home over at Concordia University there in Mequon. And as always, head to the website, check out the schedule, and as always, we encourage you to get out and check some games out in person. And if you can't, go to the website and watch online. Time for us to take a break. On the other side of the break, gentlemen, I pose this question. If Notre Dame wins out and you get an SEC team that has only one loss, Notre Dame in, that SEC team out, or is the SEC team with one loss in and Notre Dame out? We'll debate it next. This is the College Football Show right here on 105.7 FM, The Fan. back in college football show right here on 1057 FM the fan 1250 AM or on the app at the radio.com app that you can utilize on your phone tablet or any other wonderful device that you might be using at this point in time here's the question I posed before we went to break and this is something that I obviously I'm not smart enough to come up with on my own so I'm borrowing and paraphrasing and that is this <laughs> if the Irish find a way to run the table and go undefeated through the regular season. You obviously have the potential right now for a Georgia Alabama sec championship game in which both teams could be undefeated. And then with that particular matchup, somebody's going to come out with a loss and you're sitting as a member of the committee. And now you've got to figure out what your final four is. And I'm going to assume that it's Alabama I'm going to assume that there are two other schools like an Ohio State and maybe a Washington out of the Pac-12 are your three. So it comes down to, and I shouldn't even put Alabama there. We're going to take the winner of the SEC championship game. So it comes down to, do you take a one-loss Georgia, a one-loss Alabama over Notre Dame, or do you take Notre Dame, Professor, 
you're the educated one. Go ahead. Wow. Um, <laughs> that, that's a relative term. Uh, um, look, I, I, I'm always, I'm always a daughter of Notre Dame and not, you know, it, part of the reason I'm a Notre, I'm a Notre Dame daughter is because they're not part of a league. And I think a league kind of vets you in terms of, of your skill set and going up against constant competition all the time. Notre Dame does have the ability, and granted they, they write contracts years in advance, but they're they're not facing the schedule that an SEC team, SEC team is facing. So if I'm on the committee and I'm dealing with an undefeated Notre Dame team, um, Notre Dame only gets into the final four in the fourth spot. There's got there's there's got to be kind of a weak link there somewhere because I think I, I don't know how you look past Alabama Georgia with a one loss either way. And here's the thing when when you said and Jeff I'm going to throw this at you to get your perspective when when you put these games so many years in advance and and we've talked about this on other previous shows about how we need to figure out a way where maybe it's a 3-year window instead of a 15 or 20-year window when you look at the remaining games you've got some classics you know Notre Dame always plays Navy and Navy always finds a way usually I shouldn't say always usually finds a way to play Notre Dame tough, but they did have Florida State on the schedule. They did have Northwestern on the schedule, or do, I should say, and they closed the year out with USC. So in my mind, even though I understand what you're saying, Dan, they're not part of a league, it's not like you know we're looking at Alabama who's playing Coppin State two weeks before the end of the season as their non-conference matchup. They went out and found some quality opponents, it just so happens that some of those opponents this year, like Florida State, are not the Florida State of the past. With that, though, Jeff, you getting Notre Dame in or are you taking that one-loss SEC team? Well, you know me. I, I look for any excuse to knock Notre Dame out. Um, so y'all could be right in the college football world. But uh, I will tell you that, you know, if they do go undefeated, you know, they're going to get in because the committee – for some reason, they love Notre Dame, which was part of the reason why, you know, my hate uh, for them, you know, blossomed at a young age. You know, they get the calls, they get the matchups, they get every break known to man. And for years and years and years, and hopefully this year as well, they, they blow it all the time. So, you know, I think for me, I would take the one loss SEC hands down. Much better conference, much better competition. USC sucks. Florida State's a joke. You know, uh, even Northwestern isn't Northwestern of three years ago. So, you know, I would definitely take the uh, take Georgia if they lose to Bama or vice versa. And why Northwestern can't, at least at this point of the season, figure out a way to finish a game is beyond me. I mean, they have been in the lead, have had some teams on the ropes like Michigan, who the Badgers obviously play on Saturday. I mean, they were there ready to get what would be an upset and just couldn't finish it. Dakota, you become the final say in, in this boardroom as far as Notre Dame in, Notre Dame out. I'm going to go with a majority and say Notre Dame out. Uh, SEC is just too good. I mean, that one game between Georgia-Alabama, if it comes down to that, and Alabama loses, Georgia loses, I still say they have the advantage over Notre Dame. It's it's crazy to think how much the political aspect then would come into that debate, Jeff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I know you mentioned it as you as you began uh, giving your explanation as to as to why you would still go with the SEC team. Mm-hmm. But a team like Notre Dame that has such a national following because of its alumni base and the amount of prestige and monetary funds that come in association with 
the Fighting Irish. I really don't know if that one-loss SC team would get in simply because of the political nature of what that committee is going to be faced when they meet in that room. Yeah, Notre Dame has – they walk out onto the field with a certain cachet, you know, just their name alone. It carries weight still. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that's the reason why I think they're they're going to get the bump. You know, we just saw uh, yesterday uh, – Samson, the ex-president of the Marlins, say that MLB will do anything to make sure that the Dodgers beat the Brewers because bigger market, uh, you know, the fans are going to travel better, more eyes on the TV, more interest, more money. It's the same thing with Notre Dame. They'll they'll travel to, you know, to the moon to watch that team, and they're going to put eyes all over the country on the TV. It's amazing to me that with – all of the things that we've talked about in the explosion of media with regards to players being recruited and how it's not so much anymore the Michigan, Ohio State, USC's of the world that you used to want to go play because those were the teams that were on every single Saturday no matter what and that way you were on TV. It still amazes me that the Irish have withstood all of – the modern advancements in media and still become Daniel, one of those teams where everybody a wants to play or B wants to sit down and watch. Yeah. Well give Notre Dame credit for managing its brand, right? They, they, they do an excellent job of, of maintaining, like you said, Jeff, the cachet of what it is to be Notre Dame. And and they have, and they haven't always had good teams. Then they've had spectacular teams, but there is, College football would be different without that gold helmet. You know, it wouldn't quite be the same. And and it it is one of the iconic things to watch a game in Notre Dame in October, uh, like it is to watch a Yankee game at Yankee Stadium or or pick one of those things. It's just one of those things socially that we accept. It's just we just can't get past the idea of of football being football without Notre Dame, and that's part of the challenge that I have with it. Basically. Dakota, this has to be on the fly. No research, no looking, no using the Google monster here. Notre Dame. <laughs> is usually good for one. Tim Allen sat in last week, so shout out to Tim Allen and Baby Tausch who were in studio for the for their very first maiden voyage of Shovel of Funk. Oh we got we got them at the table. But Tim <laughs> Allen Tim Allen sat here last week and, you know, talked about the fact that the fighting Irish are always good for a hiccup through the course of the regular season. They always that that talk the momentum, everything is building, and then there's that one game where they just come out and and really destroy their season as far as what we're talking about and getting into the Final Four. So here it goes, Dakota, real quick. you got to pick one of these. Where will the hiccup take place? All right, all right. Pitt, Navy, Northwestern, Florida State, Syracuse, USC. Oof. Where's the first two again? The first two were Navy and Pitt reverse the order so it goes pit then navy but those are the first two where are they playing at usc or are they at home no uh pits at notre dame notre dame's at navy Navy. and what about at usc usc i believe is at home i believe i'm gonna go with usc on this one okay last game of the year yeah last game of the year daniel any prediction real quick I'll throw a little love to Northwestern because they've been competitive in most of the games that they're at. I think they, they could probably be competitive in this one. Jeff? Navy. Navy? Yep, at that w- Navy. That would be spectacular. It would yeah, be it phenomenal. Would be. It would the be triple option just erases the Golden Dome. <laughs> That's your headline right there. Yeah. Yahoo, go ahead. Send your check, please, in care of Intercom Broadcasting. 
the golden dome is erased by the triple option. I, that to me would just be fabulous because one of the great games of the year for me always is that army Notre Dame game. And you're not watching it necessarily for spectacular, innovative offense. Well, and Pitt's not going to be a cupcake either. Pitt no. always plays Notre Dame tough. They show up for that game. I give Notre Dame mm-hmm. the advantage with it being in South Bend, but you know, that's not, that's not an easy one. And I like, Dan, I agree with you. I like Northwestern. I think Northwestern, for whatever reason, has been right there and just have found ways, again, to give away games or to stall, to start real strong. They've almost been the opposite of what the Badgers have been, where the Badgers have taken almost the first half off and then excelled in quarters three and four. Northwestern has gone bonkers quarters one and two and then just kind of tried to hold on in quarters three and four instead of figuring out how to win this thing time for another break when we come back let's cover the week that was in and around college football some of the big games some of the storylines that have taken place and then at the end as always at about uh, 945 950 we'll shovel the funk as we wrap this thing up once again this is the college football show right here on 1057 FM the fan she's a bad Back to the college football show right here on 1057 <laughs> FM. The there, there is nothing better than a facial expression from the music that I pick and Orlowski has to play. <laughs> he's just in shock back there after oh, what you he's should see oh. the videos back here, though. It's, it's my angle towards yes, Jeff's view. It's is all perfect. classic. All right, let's take a look at the week that was. Hey, guys, we're back up to 500. So if if Concordia can win this week, when we take coaching interviews and and what happens the following Saturday, oh, Lance Leopold, University of Buffalo, with a big win over Central Michigan, 34-24. Coach Leopold joining us last week right here on the show. Got a chance to watch it on the CBS Sports Network. Uh, you know, it, it's just, guys, good to see somebody like Leopold who, who got obviously his – his his major break really with the University of Wisconsin Whitewater and all the success that he had move into that position at Buffalo and now a couple of years into his tenure with his kids in there his style of football really having success in the MAC Jeff don't don't you think that Lance Leopold could be finding his way uh, another step up that somebody's going to be looking his direction to fill a vacancy at a more prominent university than Buffalo sometime soon? Absolutely. He's got the pedigree, like you said, going through a fantastic program. Uh, And now with what he's doing at Buffalo, absolutely. The trajectory on his career is pointing straight up and we wish him the best because he joined the show. If he wasn't on the show, I might not root for him. Who? But uh, yeah, yeah. Who who are we talking about? But, uh, but yeah, no, you know, he's definitely on the way to bigger and better things. Yeah. He, he's just, he's just one of those guys you have, you have well wishes for because whether it was at whitewater or then like we did last week, talking with him at the university of Buffalo, I mean, he's just, he seems like a grounded, sincere individual who obviously knows the game of football inside and out. So we wish him continued success and thank you for getting us back to 500 here. And maybe more people will pick up the phone when we call that's for another time and place. So, Dan, for you last week, what what was your takeaway? I mean, I was impressed with the win Texas got. I was actually yeah, impressed yeah. with the win Florida got. There were a couple of wins last week 
that really surprised me that I didn't think we would see, and yet that's the beauty of college football mm-hmm. is the fact that we can see these upsets week in and week out, and those were just two examples for me. Yeah, there's always a weekend where it seems like things go upside down a little bit in college football, and, and I this was part of that weekend. I don't know if it was the whole thing, but I remember sitting in the Badger game and looking at the scores you know, during a break, and there was Texas beating, and I didn't expect that at all. Texas beating Oklahoma, and that that really surprised me. I think the trick now is, is, is again, we've talked about those pillar programs, the USC's, the Notre Dame's. Is this an opportunity now for Texas to come back and to start to build up again? I, I, they're a ways off, to be honest with you. I think it's going to take them a while to get there uh, from the Mac Brown days. It's been so long, but it was nice to see it was nice to see Texas win that one and not always have it be an Oklahoma thing. It, it'll be weird someday. Michigan will beat Ohio State again. And when that happens, Maybe. it'll be a little, it'll be a strange, but it'll be a good thing. And that, again, that's what goes back to make Saturdays just wonderful this time of the year. Obviously, for me, it was Florida beating up on LSU. Yeah, well, I didn't really beat up on. Them. I mean, it was twenty-seven nineteen. But the way LSU has played so far this year, Jeff, I just thought even going down into Gator Country and the fact that Tim Tebow was going into the Ring of Honor and all the hoopla that was taking place, LSU has just found a way up until last Saturday to go in and take care of business, whether at home or on the road. And I just thought going into Florida, Florida is good this year, but it's not Florida of years past. This is this right. is not the juggernaut that we used to see with Urban Meyer when he was coaching down there. Yeah, you know, and that's true. And uh, see, I, I got a check, and I, I missed it this week. I didn't know if uh, Tebow was on faith in the zone with Mike McGivern because – you know, then I could have seen, you know, the uh, amazing performance by uh, by Florida in this one. You know, that, that program really, re, you know, juvenates a football team. But, uh, but, yeah, no, Florida looked fantastic. LSU, you know, they're still trying to make their way back. Uh, you know, they always have their quarterback issues and everything like that. But I think they finally have, you know, a, a good head coach now and hopefully – you know, we'll we'll see LSU rise and and give more more of a fight than they have the last five years down down in uh, in the swamp. One of the one of the best games of the weekend was the Texas A and M Kentucky game, mm-hmm. and it just feels strange to talk about Kentucky during football season. Usually, it's <laughs> one of those things we're talking about during basketball season, but Kentucky is just playing extremely well right now on the gridiron, and it's great to see teams like that kind of rise up, especially at schools, Dakota, where we predominantly talk about them during the basketball season, to see now what's happening in the fall on the gridiron. Every once in a while, you you just need that that shakeup, that thing to take place that just keeps you even more interested in the game that, that we love to talk about. Right, yeah, it's... Tremendous what they've done for that football program. Changed it over from basketball to football to now having both. Um, it's unbelievable what that school program has done for themselves. And I can only imagine those college students just living it up on game days for football and basketball. Yeah, it's got to be a good time oh, to yeah. be going to the University of Kentucky. Jeff, here's one for you. So Scott Frost jumps to Nebraska, and and he's in the process of, of trying to change the dynamics and the culture and everything else going on with the corn hustlers. And yet he leaves UCF UCF now ranked number 12 in the country. They beat SMU 48 to 20. And don't you think right now UCF fans were 
jumping at the bit when we're sitting here talking about the potential of a Notre Dame undefeated season. Don't you think that UCF right now is thinking the same thing? Like, listen, if we run the table, you're going to keep us out again? Well, you mean defending national champion? Yes. Yes. That's what we're talking about. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. And, you know, it's hard after what happened last season for them not to feel that way. But they know going in that they could run the table 10 years in a row and they'll they'll never sniff the playoffs. So, you know, but it definitely makes you think that uh, Frost kind of made a bad move. Well, you know, he went home. Yeah. And he's got to be willing, I guess, so that it's not a bad move to understand you have to, and hopefully the university will give him an extended amount of time because there's a lot that needs to be changed with that Nebraska program. And so if they give him five, six years and will endure what we're seeing this year with the Cornhuskers, I think over time he might have the ability, but we don't have that culture anymore. No, It's very rare that a guy is given five, six, seven years to try and turn something around because people want to win now and the donors want to win now. And let's face it, these programs are driven by their donors. And if those donors aren't happy, Scott Frost may be wishing he would have stayed at UCF. The other surprising one for me, Dan, is how Stanford has begun its free-for-all. They lost this past Saturday to Utah 41-20. to And I understand Bryce Love is out, and Bryce Love – along with Jonathan Taylor, were kind of the two front runners for that Heisman Trophy going into this season. And now Bryce Love is kind of falling by the wayside, unfortunately, because he's being hampered by injury, not due to talent mm-hmm. right. or lack thereof. He's just banged up. But Stanford, I thought, was a bit stronger. I thought they'd be able to overcome the absence of Bryce Love, but they definitely proved me wrong, and Utah just came in and took it to him. Yeah, I – for me, it's it's a bigger, more systemic issue of the 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 Pac-12 or whatever it is now. I, I really thought when they signed that television contract for over a billion dollars, you got more money going into each of the programs. You had you, it was right during the time of the height of the Oregon dynasty. I'll call it that way. Stanford was floating around there, doing really really well. I thought there would be an opportunity for the Pac-12 to really kind of step up and say we are the next kind of we're floating right underneath the SEC and do those things. But they haven't made that jump. None of the teams have. You haven't seen USC come back. You haven't seen UCLA come back. Oregon is struggling. Stanford is kind of floating around. And they're still kind of, you know, they, they still play a picture in the national prominence of, of football. But it's it's just not the same that when we were growing up, you know, USC, UCLA, and those two. But I, I don't get it. I don't get you've got major markets over there. You've got you've got talent in those areas. I can't figure out what's going on with that with that league. It just doesn't make any sense to me. And, and you hit it right on the head. It's a league thing. It's mm-hmm. not necessarily one team. It's not like and looking. It's been at, a while, right? It's yeah. not looking like at Oregon where you say, okay, Chip Kelly left. They're they're retrying to find their identity and what have you. But when you take Oregon, as you've already mentioned, USC, UCLA, you can go right down the line. Stanford is different. Stanford, you know, like we talked about, Stanford will roll in and the coach will tell you he loves recruiting at Stanford because mm-hmm. 80% of the population he doesn't have to worry about. I'm only looking at the top 20% because they're the ones that are going to meet the requirements to get into our university. So that's who I'm worried about. And so 
that dynamic at Northwest and Northwestern at Stanford is a bit like Northwestern, (laughs) right? It's just, yeah. What coast like Michigan or the Pacific ocean? That's, that's really only the difference, warm weather or freeze your tail off kind of a deal. Um, it just it's strange that that entire conference just can't find any traction whatsoever mm-hmm. and it seems to happen to me the ACC is a little bit like that yeah. with regards to football mm-hmm. with all of the talent that they're able to attract on the basketball side it would seem to me on the football side they would be able to attract that same type of talent and be able to build that league up a little bit and there's a couple of teams in the ACC that are faring okay but as an entire conference, it just doesn't seem to be there. The Big Ten, I to me, the Big Ten is in a much stronger position if you take out the new additions. If you take <laughs> out the Rutgers and the Maryland, take who out were, the boy bands, yeah. Who were just absolutely added to fill that East Coast right. void. If you just look at the Big Ten from a traditional standpoint, I think the Big Ten is in much better health than what the Pac-12 or an ACC conference is. Yeah, and and still to this day, when you think about the Big Ten, do you, I mean, who's, who thinks about Rutgers and who thinks no. about Maryland? And, and even in basketball, they're not really part of the, the Big Ten culture and looking at that. You know who thought about Rutgers? And that was last week when we talked to Lance Leopold because Buffalo beat him. And for Buffalo, let's face it, that's a Big Ten win. Oh, yeah. That's, that's a, huge, a huge thing when you were talking to Coach before about recruiting – you know, to be Lance Leopold at Buffalo and walk into a kid's house and say, listen, we've got a program good enough to beat a Big Ten team. You don't have to tell them it was Rutgers. <laughs> you know, you can you can kind of put that newspaper underneath the, the coffee table a little bit, but you can say we beat a Big Ten team, and we do play quality opponents. Again, I understand it's Rutgers, but we are playing a Power 5 conference, non-conference team. I, I just – I think for them it's great. I think for the Big Ten – not so much. The other one that occurred last week that I'm still waiting for the rug to come out, and that's Miami. Miami beats Florida State 28-27. And Florida State, Jeff, as, as you mentioned before, is nowhere near what Florida State was in the past. And I'm sure Leroy Butler is, is you know, cringing looking at what his alma mater is doing right now on the football field. But Miami, let's remember – our coach at Miami came from Georgia. And what did Georgia always do? Georgia always seemed to go really strong till about November. And yep. then the world fell apart. Mm-hmm. And we saw the same thing last year as Miami made its way through, kind of fell apart. And then Wisconsin absolutely dismantles them in the Orange Bowl. Um, we're getting to that point of the season now where I'm waiting for Miami to see the rug pulled out from under him, and then suddenly fall in the rankings as well. Yeah, I don't think you have to wait long. It'll happen. It always does. Uh, you know, the turnover chain and all that kind of nonsense, and we know what uh, Paul Chris said about that, and uh, yep. big cheers to you. But, uh, <laughs> you know, yeah, it's going to happen. All the Florida teams, with the exception of UCF, are way down, yep. and none of them have – you don't feel like – next year is going to be any different or maybe even the year after. So it's going to be an extended slump in, uh, in Florida. And that's, that's strange as well. And it's not necessarily a conference thing. It's just the state, the amount of talent in Florida 
is unbelievable when you look at how many other universities from around the country go into Florida, pull talent out. And there you have it. And that Miami, but Miami, Florida State, and Florida can't figure out a way to keep it in with what the his, the history of those programs, you know, have been that you can't figure out how to keep that talent, that pipeline still flowing to you. And we're seeing the fact that those other schools now have come in and taken that talent away we're looking at what's happened to Florida, Florida State, and what usually happens to Miami around this time of the year. Time for our last break of the evening, and we come back. It'll be time to shovel the funk. Dakota, get ready. It's your inaugural voyage as we hand the shovel over to him, and he'll get the first choice when we return. This is the College Football Show right here on 105.7 FM, The Fan. Where's Bill Schmidt and Tim Allen? Uh, it's not a shovel of funk without them all of a sudden this week. Welcome back to the college Ouch. football show right here on 105.7. What are we, Chuck Lerner? Wow. Well, Man. listen, we won't get into great detail, but Dan deserves a dig or two after last week. Shovel of funk is being brought to you by Americana Apparel. Whether you need T-shirts for an upcoming event or team jerseys and gear, Americana Apparel has you covered. Owner Jim Van Acker will provide you with unparalleled quality and service for all your custom silk screening and embroidery needs. Check them out at their website at AmericanaApparelLLC.com. Americana Apparel, the official outfitters of the college football show, and let them know that Don and Dan sent you there. All right, time to shovel Dakota. Welcome. Your very first shovel of funk. Go ahead, sir. Shovel of funk, my first and most likely my last after this call. Uh, let me just start out by saying this. I miss you a lot. Um, big, longtime 49er fan. I'm going to give my award to Jim Harbaugh because he's going to make the Wisconsin wow. Badgers go 4-2 and two after this weekend. Ooh. Ladies and gentlemen, that will be the last you hear from Dakota tonight as we'll turn his microphone off right yeah. now. And enjoy failing out of school. <laughs> Other than that, all the best, Dakota. <laughs> Jeff, go ahead. Oh, mine. Nebraska. We talked about them a little bit uh, earlier. They suck. Uh, <laughs> running back Greg Ball, he wants to transfer. He lost his starting job to some other guy who sucks. Uh, so Coach Scott Frost, you know, did I mention he sucks? <laughs> he listed he's using potential tampering by Oregon State as the reason why he added them to a long list of teams that uh, he wouldn't let Ball talk to. And it's just a weak excuse for somebody who's sitting 0-5 and about to go 0 in a million. It's just a bad look. So he gets my shovel. There's nothing better. Is that a when, record for number of sucks? I when think it, so. There's nothing better when the Jeff hands on I the shovel. It off you. <laughs> Professor, it's yours. Wow, I, I'm sorry. I'm going legit on this one. Um, no, I'm going to go to uh, Whitewater and the Warhawks and their defense. And I, I threw out the stat earlier. Uh, they've four games and and 19 points allowed by the defense. 
that's that is spectacular any way you look at it. I'd, I'd love to watch, you know, outside of playing Buffalo, I'd like to see Green Bay hold the team to 19 points and, yeah. and do that. You know, it's just what they've accomplished and what they're doing. They had a couple down years, and now they're back up. They're, they're, they're Whitewater Warhawk football. Again, it's fun to talk about them. So, Whitewater, congratulations. This week's Shovel the Funk. You know, as we said, 11,600-plus on hand for that. And the funny thing is, Dan, when you just said Whitewater is back, them being down would have been a unbelievable season for just about anybody oh, else. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, okay, you didn't get as far in the playoffs as you had in the past, and you know, Oshkosh comes in and, and wins the conference, so to speak, but yet we're talking about a team that had two losses. You know, we're not talking about a team that had a bottom out and rebuild. It's amazing again as we constantly talk about how strong the WEAC is. Whitewater this week taking on Eau Claire in Eau Claire. Eau Claire not the strongest of teams in the WEAC, but anytime you're on the road, it doesn't make life easy. My shovel this week is going to Lance Leopold and the University of Buffalo, who got us on the interview side back to 500 with their win over Central <laughs> Michigan, as they're sitting at five and one right now. And they honestly could win the MAC, and we'll see them probably bowl eligible within the next week or two. So, congratulations to the University of Buffalo. The sign has been given as we wind things down here on another edition of the College Football Show. want to thank Orion Sang from the Detroit Free Press for joining us and talking about this upcoming Wisconsin-Michigan matchup. Also want to thank the head coach at Concordia University of Wisconsin. That was Greg Etter. For Dakota, thanks for stopping in. Great yep. to have you here this evening. Say his last name wrong again. Yeah. You? What's my last name? <laughs> you are you are yeah, the we'll artist, the artist formerly known as Dakota, <laughs> for the professor Dan Underberg, for the Polish pipe bomb Jeff Verlowski. I'm Don Wachillis. We might be back in six and twenty-two. I have no idea. Enjoy the game Saturday night, everybody. Thanks for joining us this evening. Have a great rest of your week. Stay warm. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. 